Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, July 21st, 2022, and today will be better than yesterday. Sarah Abbott, the weekly quiz superstars, producing from Nebraska, and I'm Buster Olney in Los Angeles, where the second half of the season will kick off. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing just fabulously. I am back in Nebraska. I had my Runza. I'm good to go. I'm good to go. You already went for a run this morning? Oh, oh, not a run, a runza. Runza is a fast food restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Very very polar opposite. But um, yeah, they're only in Nebraska. So, you know, it's our little our little jewel. What's your go to? So they have a Southwest chicken salad that is just to die for i amazing and their french fries are the best french fries but their claim to fame the ranch and uh i know you're still flying high you may not have slept since the other day when i was working the all-star game for espn radio in the american league dugout Uh, i sent you a picture of, of miles teller who was about 60 feet away from me he was being honored on the field in between innings you were pretty fired up about that Yes, I was actually like my plane just landed and I saw the text and I squealed and the guy next to me just kind of looked at me and I was like, it's mind your business, mind your business. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still, as I mentioned, I'm still in Los Angeles tonight. We have the broadcast of the game between the Giants and the Dodgers from Dodger Stadium Uh, in Houston. The Astros and the Yankees will play and kind of a nutty doubleheader to start the second half, which is as a result of the uh, lockout, extended lockout, how they, ha- how they had to squeeze games into this year's schedule, some other games as well. But the other night, of course, the focus was on the uh, All-Star game, National League, American League. Clayton Kershaw started for the National League when he walked out to do his warm-ups. He was giving waves of his hat to the fans and tipping his cap and essentially thanking them for all the, the reception the he got in Dodger Stadium. And right away, he picked off another pitcher judge waiting right side deep in the batter's box and a throw over to first and they got a picked off tag out at first Otani was leading he dove back in and Goldsmith put the tag on him Mookie Betts gave the Dodgers a lead in the bottom of the first inning and it's second 3-1 pitch swing and a ground ball up the middle that'll get through for a base hit here's Acuna around third they're gonna send him he'll come in to score without a throw RBI single Mookie Betts the National League has a one nothing lead. That sound from Book Shabby, who was doing play-by-play for ESPN. Paul Goldschmidt added to the National League lead. The 2-0 hammered. Speaking of slugging, deep to left center field, and that one is gone. Home run, Paul Goldschmidt slugs it out of here, and the National League has a 2 nothing lead. In the top of the fourth inning, Giancarlo Stanton tied the score. The 0-2. Swing and a high fly ball drilled. Forget it. Way back out to left center field, and that is gone. Oh, my goodness. He crushed it. And right after that, as Stanton was getting high fives from his teammates in the American League dugout, Buxton followed. He turns on a ball and hits it a mile. Byron Buxton puts the AL in front. Two mammoth home runs. So the American League wins three to two, nine straight wins for the American League in the All-Star game. 
Stan was the MVP, and I spoke with him right after the game. Kesty, thanks. Giancarlo, you've won the Home Run Derby. You've won an MVP award. Now you've won an All-Star Game MVP. What does it mean? It's special. It's special all around. Um, uh, I didn't even I didn't even put this into consideration as, as a thought. So to be here um, at the place I grew up watching uh, as the MVP is, is amazing. When you hit that home run, does it occur to you at any point, like, my goodness, I hit the ball right about where I used to watch games as a kid? Yeah, first of all, I had, I had to be like, wow, I actually hit a home run here in this environment, in this situation. And then I was like, I can't believe it. That That's exactly where I used to sit um, years ago. So it's, it's, it's incredible. Walk us through that plate appearance. Uh, well, he threw me a slider uh, first pitch. I swung, I chased it, then a... Uh, then a heater up, I fouled it off, and um, I was just like, all right, get something over the plate, make sure you get the barrel to it, and, and I was able to. Nine straight wins for the American League hey. over the National League. What's that about? Dusty reminded us. He said, hey, well, we're on a winning streak here. We better do it again. So, you know, we did it, did it for Dusty. What an all-star break for you. Get a day, and then you play a doubleheader on Thursday. Hey, this is all worth it. Can't, can't be better. Thanks, Ricardo. So during the All-Star events, players are available to the media uh, all the time. Here's Aaron Judge speaking with Marley Rivera on Baseball Tonight. And he has a son named Jacob who came up the other day really upset from his school in Astoria. He just came over. He's like, are you telling me that Aaron Judge may not be a Yankee after this year? What do you have to tell to Jacob right there and tell your fans that want you to remain in a Yankee uniform? <laughs> Uh, I wasn't yeah. going to put you on the spot. <laughs> I mean, we're on live TV. <laughs> yeah, no, Jacob, buddy. Um, you know, we got a lot of great Yankees on this team. You know, there are a lot of great Yankees. Be here for a long time, you know, so don't, don't get, hey, don't be upset. Don't be upset. <laughs> Hopefully you'll be a Judge fan for life. During the course of the All-Star game, Tim Kirkchin caught up with Clayton Kershaw. Clayton, what was it like starting the All-Star game at Dodger Stadium? Man, it was so cool. Um... You know, you try to get ready like a normal start, but um, being here with best players in the world at my home park that I grew up in and getting to do this was, um, it meant a lot. It meant a lot, and uh, I, I tried not to take it for granted as best I could. I had some fun, got a few people out, so it, it was great. It was a short at-bat, but take me through the at-bat with Shohei Otani. Well, you know, I had just faced him on uh, Friday, so he kind of knew what I was going to do. I'm not going to start the game off with a breaking ball. I'm going to give him a heater and... Hey, thankfully he didn't hit out of the park, you know, it was okay. Last thing you picked him off first. Take me through that. Well, he was dancing a little bit, and honestly, I just kind of lobbed it over there, but it was a pitch count saver. It was good. Thank you, Clayton. All right, thanks. Tim spoke with Albert Pujols. Albert, you just took your last at bat in an all-star game. What is going through your head right now? Uh, blessed, really blessed to be here and uh just be surrounded so many superstars and, um, you know, just my last year has been a long career and uh, just really enjoy the last two days. You know, you said it. It's, uh, it's just, you know, I'm going to miss this, but I also, I think it's time. And um, I'm just glad to be back here and uh, really be back in Dodger Stadium where I had a great experience last year and, uh, you know, and uh, just have a great entertainment with the fans. How did it make you feel with the enormous respect you got from everyone here? Just uh, pretty awesome. Yesterday, uh, I think I shared in my speech early before the game uh, what they did yesterday, you know, to embrace me during the home run derby like that. And everybody just came and uh, 
it's kind of buckled me around. It's uh, it's one of my favorite moments probably in my career. If it's not the number one, it's out there, uh, you know, tied for number one. So just uh, really uh, blessing. Got so much respect uh, for these guys, you know, just the way that they go about it. This young generation with so much energy. And uh, really, you know, like I say, guys that you compete against, you know, for 162 games, you come together for a special occasion like this and just uh, enjoy it, you know, and that's something that I've done it for 11 years and it's fun, you know, and that's those are the things that you're going to miss when you walk out of this place. Now, this was kind of concerning. I'm going to ask Paul Ambikides about this coming up. Jacob deGrom was scheduled to throw a simulated game on Tuesday, but he had that backed up because he experienced some mild muscle soreness in his right shoulder. Uh, the Mets announced that the delay was out of, quote unquote, an abundance of caution. We'll see how that goes as we move forward. On Wednesday night, Albert Pujols won the Muhammad Ali Sports Humanitarian Award at the 2022 ESPYs. Here's some sound of Albert's speech. Muhammad Ali was an incredible man who wanted to change the world. He used his platform to make an impact to help those in need. His legacy would never be forgotten, and I'm honored to accept this award. Sources told Jeff Pass in the Dallas Keuchel has been DFA'd by the Diamondbacks after four winless starts. Uh, with the Diamondbacks, he had a 9.64 ERA in those four outings, so we'll see if he'll continue his career moving forward. And, of course, all kinds of talk about Juan Soto, whether or not the Nationals should have chartered him a flight to the All-Star events. I have strong thoughts about that. And we'll be hitting on all that coming up with Paul Ambikides and June Lee. Sarah, what else you got? All right, Buster, a couple of exciting things. First, be sure to check out all of our ESPN podcasts, but we have a new partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions. So we have some great ones, including the Always College Football with ESPN analyst Greg McElroy. He dives deep into sports with the biggest names on and off the field. And also be sure to check out the VC show with Vince Carter. He talks to some of the biggest names and biggest stories from the NBA. And also be sure to check out the captain. He was the face of the New York Yankees, a five-time World Series champion, the most popular and admired player in baseball, and one of the greatest sports superstars of any age. The captain tells the story of Derek Jeter's life and Hall of Fame career anchored by exclusive, extensive, unprecedentedly candid interviews with Jeter, along with his family, dozens of teammates, rivals, and observers. Catch episode two on Thursday, tonight at 9 p.m. on ESPN and ESPN+. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit 
to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash buster. Just go to indeed.com slash buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo is Paul Embiid. He's a researcher at ESPN. He is also, he tells us, a honcho on the show. Get up. Hembo, how are you doing today? Buster, I am outstanding. It, it's been a boring couple of days here without being able to watch much baseball, getting energized for the second half of the season. But I actually did enjoy the Derby and the All-Star game to a, a large degree this year. I know the ratings were a little bit down in, in both cases. But look, I still really enjoy those events. Thought we covered them really, really well. And really like the access that we were sort of provided by so many of the players. I think Getting, getting Alec Manoa on the mic was a really cool thing that Fox did. I, I enjoyed the festivities. Maybe that makes me a romanticist. I don't know. But I thought it was a great week for baseball. Yeah, and I think the context for the two uh, ratings you referenced uh, were different, and we're going to get into that in a second. But I mm. first I want to start with this, because uh, I, I feel like this has absolutely been buried amid uh, the All-Star Week festivities. The New York Mets announced that Jacob deGrom – who's been sidelined since spring training, had a simulated game pushback because he's got some shoulder soreness. And the Mets are saying that's out of an abundance of caution. I, I think we're at the point with the Grom, Hembo, I feel like where there's no such thing as a minor issue. <laughs> like it's been more than a year since he pitched in a major league game. Even before that, uh, you know, he went on the aisle last year. He'd had a number of injuries. I, I, I take everything very seriously. As do I. There is no minor injury when it comes to Jacob deGrom based upon his track record. I would not be at all surprised, Buster, at all surprised if Jacob deGrom never pitched for the Mets again, meaning he goes all the way through this season and doesn't throw a single pitch. That's very much on the list of options based upon the last year, year and a half of track record. We know when he throws, he's brilliant. He's as good as any pitcher we have ever seen. He took our breath away the first half of last year. But none of that matters now. It doesn't matter at all. Sure, we watched him throw that simulated game. He was throwing darts. He looked like himself to a, to a degree. But that's not a body that I think is going to hold up. Based upon all the data, he's not a young man either. I think it's easy to forget. He's, Jacob DeGrom is, is in his mid-30s now with a whole laundry list of injuries. I am, if I were a Mets fan, I would expect Jacob DeGrom not to help me at all. And should he come back and contribute, I'll be pleasantly surprised if and when that happens. Yeah, and I wonder if that's kind of how the Mets front office, uh, Buck Showalter, privately are thinking about, it. look, anything we get out of DeGrom would be a plus. Here's the other thing, too, the reality of the calendar. 
and we were reminded of this the other day when Chris Sale, you know, suffered that broken finger. You suffer an injury now, you're pretty much out for the year. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Chris Sale, you know, breaking his finger the other day, he might come back sometime at the beginning of September at this point, maybe. You know, we'll see how his, his rehab goes. So if DeGrom has setbacks here and he has to slow down, shut down, that you're pretty much wiping out the year. So, you know, we'll see what happens. We hope for the best and hope that, uh, as the Mets say, that this is just, uh, you know, a mild issue that can go away very quickly because nobody, I mean, we all love watching DeGrom pitch. Mm-hmm. All right. As you know, the biggest name, uh, it's, uh, the name that's going to dominate the sport over the next two weeks is that of Juan Soto was being talked about in potential trades the nationals and communicating with other teams have let it be known they'd like to attach the name of patrick corbin uh the left-handed pitcher has been a total disaster for them as a free agent signing to any soto trade and as a couple of executives pointed out to me yesterday this is very much like what the uh, red sox did when they traded mookie Betts to the dodgers they attached mm-hmm. david price to mookie Betts and said look you have to take him uh, that all makes sense to me. Everything going on around this feels like that you have a motivated seller with the Nationals, with their incoming ownership, probably wanting this whole issue off the board before they take over. Um, give me give me your read. And, and that's all it is at this point in terms of speculation, because we had the draft on Sunday and executives are telling me, look, we haven't really had a chance to dig into this deeply. Give me a read uh, on where you see this playing out. The only pushback that I'll, I'll give you here in terms of your setup is the notion of attaching Patrick Corbin to Juan Soto in any trade to lose that money. Buster, that would be a significant mistake should the Nationals choose to do that because Juan Soto is the most valuable asset in the sport, a 23-year-old established superstar buster who can, in theory at least, provide you the kind of Herschel Walker-type return that can invigorate your franchise for a decade. Why would you do anything in the world to potentially spoil any of that return by attaching a worthless contract like Patrick Corbin's? It makes no sense at all. I would much prefer to move Corbin with some other piece down the road and let the Mookie, excuse me, let the Juan Soto trade sort of inform the next decade of my franchise. I think it would be a significant mistake. I've said this before on the pod and I'll say it again. I think given his age and skill, Soto is the, will be the most valuable asset traded in baseball since the Red Sox traded a 24-year-old Babe Ruth to the Yankees in 1919 and perhaps in any of the major sports since the Bucs traded Kareem Abdul-Jabbar from, from the Bucs to Milwaukee to the Lakers in 1975. This is a prodigious talent buster. He is the best. He does what he does better than anybody in the world does what he, uh, what he does. And he does the most important thing in baseball. So, as far as I can see, yes, I do think he's going to get traded in the next couple of weeks because the Nationals are so motivated to do so. But if they spoil the pot in any sense by trying to throw Patrick Corbin into that deal, I think they're doing themselves and their fan base a disservice because this is not just a premium asset. This is an historically great young player, and this is a player who is not even yet theoretically entered his prime. I would not be into that if I were a fan of the Washington Nationals. Yeah, you and I are thinking along parallel lines. I presented that uh, this morning to Max Kellerman on on their show, uh, and I, you know, as I told him, as I began to say it, I said, "I know this is going to make your head explode, but this is how important this." Because Max was saying, "Well, Soto might not necessarily age well because oh he's, he's, a, he's a corner outfielder. He's not really a middle infielder." And I'm like, "No, you're overthinking it. Like he is so 
uh, different as an offensive player. What's to come if you're a team acquiring is staggering. <laughs> Buster, no. Buster, since since 2020, over the last three seasons, Juan Soto leads the major leagues in times on base. He ranks 84th. Buster, over that same period of time, he has drawn 86 more walks than any player in baseball, while 172 different players have struck out more times than he has. He is a generational talent. The most important thing, the, the objective when you're in that box is not to make an out. And at his age, he does that thing. Any player since Ted Williams, the greatest hitter that ever lived. I have zero questions about Juan Soto aging well. To me, 10 years from now, he will already be cemented in the Hall of Fame because he hits a baseball and controls the strike zone better than anybody that I've ever seen with my own two eyes. I could not disagree more with Max in that respect. To me, I if there is a single asset in baseball, one player who I'm betting on for a decade, it is that kid for the reasons you said. Yeah, uh, and I asked uh, the other day, I'd had a conversation with Austin Riley of the Braves, with Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers about what separates Soto as a mm-hmm. player, and they all talked about he doesn't swing at pitches out of the zone. He, he, and that, that's a hard thing to do, and that absolutely distinguishes him. Um, I, you know, as we talk about potential suitors, the Dodgers and the, the, the Yankees are, uh, the, as I mentioned the other day, they're the, um, you know, the teams who are used to talking about, I feel like though, that some of the teams that should be interested and are interested are teams that are looking at him, not over the course of 15 years of a long-term deal, but what he could bring over the next two and a half years before he'd be eligible for free agency. And within that context, I think the Cardinals should be very interested because they certainly have assets to potentially make a trade. And boy, would that be fun to see him drop the middle of their lineup. Uh, And the Blue Jays clearly to me are in their window with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. unsigned uh, to a long-term deal an impact hitter now he could help balance that lineup and then you have the san diego padres their owner peter seidler he's made it clear he's trying to win i think buster that juan soto the prospects of trading for juan soto should appeal more than any to small market clubs because you get two years of the best hitter in baseball at a somewhat reasonable cost tampa pick up the phone cleveland pick up the phone in what other context would you have the opportunity to have the best hitter in baseball in the middle of your lineup if you're one of those two clubs? Pick up the phone. The opportunity is there. He can't say no. For the next two seasons, he's under contract and is going to be hitting third or fourth for your team, and you're going to have a really good team because he's on it. In either of those cases, certainly. I would love, love the idea of a smaller market team going all in for the next two years. A lot of their young players on Juan Soto, if they feel – you could push him over the edge. Those are just two top of head teams. I like the idea of San Diego. I like the idea of Toronto. But to me, every single club in baseball that has any uh, itch to contend over the next two years should be in the mix because this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Don't miss out. Yeah, and and let somebody else worry about the long-term contract when he becomes right. a free agent. Yeah, mm-hmm. you'd get, be getting him for two and a half years for the rest of this season for 23 and for 24. Uh, so some executives have told me they really believe that the reason why this number leaked out is because it served both sides. And I want to see if you agree with this. Uh, one on, on the side of Soto, it essentially sets a, a floor 
for Scott Boris in any negotiation. Look, he's been offered the highest contract, the biggest contract in history of baseball, and he turned it down. And that gives Scott a floor. So it serves their side in that regard. And if you're the Nationals, it serves their side, A, to demonstrate to their fans that they tried to sign him. That's what the Yankees did when they, Brian Cashman, told reporters the numbers in the spring. But two, also to create some context for these trade talks. You buying? Um, I'm actually, yes, I am. I guess this is a new thing now that we're just going to start seeing these numbers leaked anytime a player <laughs> turns down a deal from the team. But I, I actually do think that it stands to reason. It benefits Boris and it benefits Soto, who poor guy to pretend like he didn't want to answer these questions and that this wasn't a whole <laughs> elaborate scheme at the All-Star break. But I'll tell you what, and because Greeny asked me this on Monday, he's like, I cannot believe that he turned down a contract of that size. I told Greeny, he's worth more than that. I mean, just just objectively. So Fangraphs estimates that he's been worth $172 million in his career. That's 555 games. Buster, they're just estimating here that Juan Soto is worth $50 million per 162 games just based upon the production. I don't think he's going to be paid $50 million a year, but I think he could reasonably ask for it based upon his body of work. And when you consider how young he is, how great he is, Yes, I think it stands to reason. Both the team and the agent here benefit from this. But I think the Juan Soto contract, the, the actual Juan Soto contract that we're going to see two years from now is going to make our heads spin. Yeah, it'll start with the number five. At uh, least. That, yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, Sports Illustrated reported that uh, Scott Boris confirmed that the Nationals did not arrange a private jet for Soto uh, and his family to fly to the, uh, to the West Coast for the All-Star events. And, you know, clearly the way that, uh, you know, it was couched on, by Scott was, you know, head on hand. Oh, I can't believe this happened, you know, in, as he goes into the the home run derby. And my response when I saw that was, yeah, OK, the Nationals to me should have. Why not? I mean, you're in a position where you made the guy an offer. In theory, you, you know, you're trying to keep a, a strong relationship with him. Sixty thousand dollars is about what the cost is, from what I understand. Um, you could have done that. Scott Boris could have done that. His agent could have done it. And oh, by the way, Juan Soto's making $17.1 million this year. Juan could have done it. <laughs> so, I mean, come on, right? I, I kind of, I, yeah. I like this mm-hmm. poor Juan thing that came out after that, within that story. I'm like, oh, stop. There are, there are no victims here, only idiots. The, the Nationals are, an idiot, are idiots for, for being petty. Scott, Scott Boris wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, bend over to pick up $60,000 if it were on the ground in front of him. He should have done it. And Juan Soto sure, sure could have uh, flown himself if he, if he so chose. These are the kinds of stories that like explode on Twitter and get people talking and you know rankled. To me, this is sort of a non-story, frankly. It's sort of a funny tidbit anecdote, but there's no certainly side, sides to take here because it's pretty clear that <laughs> once Scott and Juan learned that he was not going to be flying in this way, they could have very easily remedied that but you know what? Very Scott easily. Boris, Scott Boris should be running for political office. I mean, his his like sort of uh, machinations here are like the stuff of legend. This this guy should be advising the most <laughs> the most important politicians we have because Lord knows he's better at it than they are. Yeah, yeah, that's the one part. And and uh, I guess if there's not going to be pushback on that thing too, that that's an easier way to try to make those points. Uh, <laughs> all right, so give me two bold second half predictions. Buster, the first is this. The Dodgers, not the Yankees, but the Dodgers are going to finish the season with the best record in baseball. I'm going to tell you why. First of all, by opponent record, 
the Dodgers own an easier second half schedule than the Yankees. That stands the reason based upon their divisions. The second reason, Buster, is something I'm going to call run scoring diversity. The Yankees lead the major leagues in the percentage of runs they score via the home run ball. The Dodgers rank 18th in home run reliance. That's a much more stable foundation over 162, at least in my judgment. And three, the Yankees are 19 and 11 right now in one run games. The Dodgers are seven and nine. That's going to flatten out too, I think. I think those sort of three factors, in addition to some others, but I think those three factors primarily are going to more than make up for the three-game difference between the two clubs right now. The Dodgers wind up with the best record in baseball. What say you? I disagree with you. I think the Astros are going to wind up with the best record in baseball. Wow. Wow. Because I think they have an easier schedule, which you have demonstrated to me with some of the numbers you've sent me. They have a very easy schedule. I'm just going to lean on, I think, the overall depth and quality of the Dodgers roster, which I think will be improved before the trade deadline, will win the day. I mentioned Austin Riley. What do you got on him? Okay, so that's my second bold prediction, Buster. Austin Riley is going to finish the season as the major league leader in home runs. Right now, he's sixth behind Aaron Judge. I'm going to try to talk you into this. First reason why is because, well, first, he's been installed as the cleanup hitter since June 25th, hitting right behind Matt Olson. In those 22 games, he's got nine homers with a 784 slugging percentage. He's mashed in that role. Secondly, Buster, he's adapting as the season has gone on. I'm just going to give you his, his launch angles by month. Eight, 12, 15, and 23 in July. He's starting to lift the baseball with effectiveness. And three, he's meeting the baseball out front. In the first two months of the season, he only pulled 21% of his fly balls. In the last two months, that number's jumped to 33. He has massive, massive pull side power. Some of the very best in baseball. He's figuring that on the fly. He's very clearly done some effective self-scouting. I think Austin Riley's going to sniff 50 home runs. And I think if you're looking for a long shot in Vegas right now, you can get him at 14 to 1 to lead the majors in home runs. I think that's a pretty good bet based upon what we've seen the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think there's a chance that that's going to happen. Uh, you know, getting ready for the show, get up, and you were producing that. We we talked about how Aaron Judge's home run number is going to be affected by the fact that the Yankees are going to rest him. That'll continue as you go forward. For example, I wouldn't be surprised if the schedule in the next few days is Judge DH is today and tomorrow, and then he plays Friday, Saturday in Baltimore, and then sits on Sunday. Uh, if he continues to get regular rests, it's very different than a lot of the other guys going for 60 home runs. I think the Yankees will, uh, you know, continue to try, try to, you know, push for a championship and, and keep, uh, keep all their guys well rested. That'll probably help Austin Riley. And I found this out too, because I was wondering yeah. why did it take so long for Austin Riley to be added to the all-star team? <laughs> like that was bizarre, right? <laughs> yeah. He wasn't added till Sunday. And I, cause I thought for sure, he just had a little, uh, a new baby. And I thought, yeah, maybe the signal from him was I'm ready to go home. And apparently that was not the case. So that was a surprise. No, most definitely. I, I will say, I just will say this to wrap you up. This kid right now, the trajectory that he is on Austin Riley, it would not stun me, Buster. We've seen players explode in the second half. It would not stun me if he won the national league MVP award right now, his yep. bat to ball is so incredibly good. And the reason I like him over judge in terms of this home run total is that they're going to be in the thick of a really, really challenging division race with the Mets. I think the Yankees are probably, probably going to be pretty, have a pretty clean second half. And I don't think, I think, like you said, Aaron Judge won't need to be in the lineup seven days a week. 
I really think Austin Riley's going to put up some numbers uh, this season by the end of it that will make us ask ourselves, is, is this kid, this, that kid might be the best third baseman in baseball. We'll see in three months. All right. Uh, before you go, give me a crush mm-hmm. quotient leaderboard. Yes. Yeah, so the crush, crush quotient, excuse me, crush quotient for those unfamiliar is a stat that you conceived, Buster, which is total bases per swing. By my, by my money, for uh, at least, it's the single best measure of a hitter's ability to do damage and the single best measure of a pitcher's ability to avoid it. So here's your top five hitters for this season. Really no surprises. Jordan Alvarez, Aaron Judge, Mookie Betts, um, Mike Trout, and Paul Goldschmidt. That rounds out your top five. One sort of interesting name at the top of this list is Brandon Drury of the Reds. He's seventh right now, on a, signed originally on a minor league contract. That's an interesting name to watch here before the trade deadline because obviously they're not winning anything, and he's been their best hitter. Another curious um, subplot here, Buster, among 158 qualifying players, Max Muncy's 143, Chris Taylor's 144, and Cody Bellinger's 145. Three in a row at the very, very bottom of this list. I do wonder if the Dodgers look at that lineup and say to themselves, we just don't have enough depth, enough depth right now because those three guys are just not producing. Yeah, I think the Reds, you mentioned Brandon Drury, they are going to be one of the most aggressive teams before the trade deadline. I think Luis Castillo gets traded based on what I've heard in recent days, and he winds up either with the Yankees or the Dodgers, the usual suspects. Brandon yeah, Drury exactly right. is going to be one of those names that is not going to excite people when he's traded because he's not a big star. But you're 100% right. He's had a terrific season after making some adjustments, and there will be a lot of interest in him. All right, Hembo, thanks for doing this. Later, man. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. June Lee covers baseball for ESPN. June, how you doing? How you doing, Buster? I'm doing okay. Uh, getting ready for the second half. Fired up. Dodgers, Giants. We got a weird that weird doubleheader. Yankees and Astros today. You know because of the lockout. So we're we're off and running. But uh, I want to ask you some stuff uh, that's happened over the last few days. First, you got to have Derek Jeter on your Instagram live. Yeah, it was uh, it was a cool opportunity that uh, that ESPN presented to me to host an Instagram live. Uh, kind of talking to Jeter about 
the the process of making a documentary and why he chose this moment uh, to make a documentary. And the thing that I was most curious about, having seen the first two episodes, was why now was the moment that he wanted to kind of become more vulnerable and talk about kind of the hardships that he went through in his career. And one of the things that I, I talked to him about was, you know, why he set very strong boundaries between him and, and the rest of the public and the media throughout the course of his career. And the explanation that he gave me, I thought made a lot of sense, which was, you know, as much as he could, he wanted to separate his personal life with his, uh, with, or with his professional life. And he didn't want to give the media or fans anything that they didn't necessarily, or he didn't necessarily want to have them know. And of course, there's a level of public interest in him from the paparazzis to the, to the, to the, to the tabloids that is unavoidable. But I thought that that really summed up a lot of how he went about his career. And you know, I think if you watch the documentary, you see that there's a level of depth to the sports cliche answers that he gives on a regular basis. Uh, when you have the context of kind of the close family ties that he has with his parents and his sister, um, you know, the biracial upbringing that he had in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and how that really prepared him to be the shortstop of the New York Yankees and the a level of attention that uh, that that job comes with because you know, as a kid growing up, he always got a level of attention that he wasn't necessarily asking for because he came from a biracial family and, and grew up in a time where that was much more of a taboo thing than it is today. So I don't know if they use this anecdote in the, in the, the series and I haven't seen either episode. I'm going to ask you about that in a second, but I, I told the story when they interviewed me about uh, Derek in, in his last year of his career, we were sitting in the dugout visitors dugout at Fenway park and I mentioned to him, I said, you know, I get asked by journalism students all the time about interviewing you. And he goes, what do you tell him? And I said that you're intentionally boring. And then he <laughs> looked at me, he goes, I wouldn't say boring. I said, no, Derek, I get it. Like, I understand exactly why. I said, you didn't want to create a story that was going to interfere with what you wanted to do on the baseball field. And I said, I think it's totally defensible. Like, I, I got it. At the time I covered him, he would give very short answers, uh, which could be frustrating because you knew that he had opinions, that he had insight, that he had knowledge. And, you know, I covered guys, Tony Gwynn, uh, David Cohn, who would go beyond that. And Derek didn't engage because he knew because of who he was. It was going to be a big story. Look, if Homer Bush, who, you know, was also on that team, gave a strong opinion, that would come and go. If you're Derek Jeter, you're just creating the next day's story. And Derek was fully aware of that. And so I, if I had been a player and, I, and if I had been at someone at his stature, I absolutely would have handled it that way. It made complete sense to me. Yeah. I mean, it, the, one of the fascinating things about that specifically too, is that, you know, Jeter said that he, he didn't really necessarily think about how that built his image, but it almost created a mystique and a mystery around him where everyone, right. you know, everyone wanted to know more about him because you could tell that there was a level of substance and depth and thoughtfulness there, but he just refused to show that part of himself to you. And, you know, <laughs> I think it's, it's human nature that when there's a level of mystery and you want something from someone that, and, and they don't give it to you. It almost feeds your ego to even try even harder. And it's only now that, you know, when he's retired and he's a dad and he wants to kind of document, you know, the, the exploits and the, the successes and the failures of his career um, for his family, that he's starting to kind of show that vulnerable side and show that there is a level of thoughtfulness to everything that he did and, and the way that he went about everything that I think 
um, you know, shows a level of depth that we didn't necessarily kind of see in his career. And I think one of the other interesting parts about all of this too, is that, you know, he doesn't have to say that much. He, he, the, the documentary kind of lets so many other people speak for him, speak about their experiences, you know, playing with him, what it was like to be around him when he was, uh, you know, starting to become famous and, and was at the peak of his fame in New York city. And when you have all of that context with everyone around him, you know, the cliche sports answers that we often hate getting as reporters have a lot more substance because you can sense the level of perspective and the, and, and the way that his experiences around him shaped him without him having to articulate, you know, this is X, Y, Z, what I went through when I was starting to become famous as a member of the New York Yankees after we won the world series the first time. Um, I think that part is, is really, really interesting. And, and it's been one of my favorite parts so far about watching this, this series. Yeah. When I covered him as a beat writer, uh, I would drop in, you know, you got that huge scrum after games where you got, you know, 25 reporters surrounding him. I would drop in, I would listen for one quote and I would get, okay, I got my Derek Jeter quote. I can sprinkle into the story. <laughs> and then I would leave because I knew he wasn't going to say anything interesting. Uh, and I mean, 99% chance of that. And then I'd go and talk to other players who would say more interesting stuff. Um, you, you know, and Derek, I'll give you an example, and it was uh, he and I have had a conversation about this, and I, I've been told that they are going to use this anecdote. So he had this incident with David Wells. This was an, an an incident that happened that if Derek had illuminated it to me, either on background or on the record, it would have made him look great. It would have made him look better because he was a 24-year-old leader of the team, and he was standing up for his teammates saying, we don't put up with that stuff around here. But in that moment, in trying to report out that story, he just was trying to wall me off from the team, which I, again, I got as a reporter. It was frustrating, but uh, I also respected what he was trying to do. You know, it, when it was up to me to get the facts right. So it was very, it was very funny. Well, Buster, I'm curious as someone who like spent a lot of time covering Jeter throughout the course of his career, how did you see him evolve as his ro role on the team grew and as his image not, you know, became not just something that New York, uh, really, really adored and loved, but he became this like kind of national sports icon. Right. Uh, and, and I talked about this. I don't know if they're going to use this. I, I think it, uh, it, it, it took over to more of his time. Like I, I, the amount of time that's required for those guys who get to that level and Jordan experienced it. Uh, I covered Cal Ripken. I think he experienced it. Uh, they become a product. And I think managing that product became, takes a lot of energy and I think it I think it took Derek away from the team. Look, when the Yankees went went out and they pursued CC Sabathia as a free agent, uh, their big pitch to him was like, look, our clubhouse stinks. We need to make this clubhouse culture better. Well, who that who is that an indictment of? Derek. Because you know what? At that age, Derek had so, you know, he he's not only, you know, spending time being a, a great player, but he also has to manage his product. And I think that that affected him. I think that the, you know, the player that is able to, to not be affected by that is so rare. The only guy, and I don't even think this guy necessarily qualifies because he didn't become a star at the level that Derek did, was Mariano Rivera. Mariano Rivera was exactly the same person the last day I covered him from the first day I covered him. Derek changed. You know, he was, a, he was changed by that. I think Cal did too. The stories that, that uh, Tim Kirkchen tells from early in Cal's career were very different than what I experienced when Cal would wall you off. Um, so I, I think Derek was affected by it. I mean, how did you see that product and that image almost change 
throughout the course of, you know, from, from the beginning of his career to the end, like how, how did you see that image and the product of Derek Jeter evolve? Uh, I think it, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, first off, you know, early on he became a star and I actually remember having a conversation because I just come over from covering the Orioles when I went to the New York times and had a conversation about Cal with him uh, about how Cal was not a great teammate, you know, in 95 and 96, because there was a lot of this other focus. And I heard that from other players, by the way, that's just not me covering in the same way that I heard about Derek, that, you know, there were players that I spoke with, and you know, kind of stinks. You feel like uh, they're among the, the, you know, the core four, so to speak, there was a perspective that uh, if you weren't part of that dynasty team, the 96 to 2001, you weren't really in this club. And so guys would drop in and feel like they weren't really part of things. And that's what I mentioned when they brought CC in, that's what they were trying to address. And, and, and I, I, I think if Derek had been able to manage that all the way through and continue to be fully invested in other teammates and in the way that he was as a young player, that would have been extraordinary. And almost, I think it would have been impossible because the amount of time required to manage the product. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that trade-off is really, really interesting, just given the the level of fame that he achieved, not necessarily because of he wanted to, but also because of just everything that happened around him, just being a byproduct of being the shortstop of the New York Yankees in that time period, you know, in that dynasty era. All right, so we got Hembo coming up in a couple minutes. I want to get to a couple other things with you. It's been a fun conversation. Uh, we spent a lot of time on this. Real quick, what did you think of the documentary so far? Uh, I mean, I've really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I think like a lot of people, I was a little worried when it was announced that, you know, we would have that wall with Jeter, but he's been much more forthcoming about, I think, his life and his insecurities at the beginning of his career and throughout the course of his early life than I expected. And uh, I'm really curious to see how, you know, he felt like he had to evolve and change as people around him were evolving and changing and were asking for more of him. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've watched two episodes. We've been doing a recap show. I'm going to watch episode three and four, of course, in the next couple of weeks. But um, I've been really, really impressed so far. Yeah, I'd say this. It's really hard to live a life where everywhere you go, someone is asking you for something. I bet, I think that absolutely can affect you. Um, I want to ask you before you go about the uh, the All-Star Game ratings. They're way down, 9.7%. I think June, and it's clear from all the players who were announced to the team and then dis announced they weren't going to participate, that the Player Association, Major League Baseball, need to have a conversation about how to make this event relevant again. I think they have to go back to making the, you know, to actually playing it as a competition as opposed to participation trophy event. Yeah, and I think I think part of it too is that the novelty of the interleague play has really, really disappeared because we just see it throughout the course of the season. Like I remember as a kid growing up, one of the big reasons why I love the All Star Game was seeing matchups that I'd never seen before, and I think it's gone to a point where. The fans, especially young fans, and also the players too, care way more about the home run derby than they do the all-star game because it's much more of a personality showcase. It's kind of a star-making event. Like we've seen Pete Alonso star as a baseball player just grow exponentially because he's won them back-to-back. -back. Uh, and, and you see... I think Pete Alonso actually sums up a lot of this. Seeing how much he cares about winning the home run derby, I think is emblematic of this entire generational shift where growing up, most of my biggest all-star memories in the last you know 15 years or so of baseball have all come from the home run derby, whether it's Vladdy Jr. and Pete Alonso or Josh Hamilton or Bobby Abreu, like all these all-star memories 
almost entirely focus on the home run derby more so than they do the all-star game. And so, you know, one of the things that I was tossing around was I love what the NBA does where they have two captains and they like draft a fantasy team where you see this level of like drama in the draft. And then you see all these players playing together in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Like, I think that could be really fun for baseball in, in kind of a counter to the lack of novelty of the interleague play now. Uh, I think there's a lot of ways that the that the league and the players can go about trying to bring more pizzazz to, to the All-Star game again. Quick answer. Tell me the team you think Juan Soto is going to be on on August 3rd, the day after the deadline. Oh, man. I mean, part of me just, like, wants to say the Nationals because I think this trade is going to be as, as much as, like, it's, you know, the Nationals are incentivized to trade him. It's going to be really hard for them to get a package back. That makes sense unless they are able to dump off Patrick Corbin and or Steven Strasburg. Um, I think the Padres are probably in a position to where they really need to go after him, just given the position that Preller has been in um, to, you know, to build that roster over the last couple of years and the disappointment, relatively speaking, that they've been. Uh, and so I see the most urgency there. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised just given the circumstances and what it, you know, Juan Soto is kind of, unique position of being 23 years old and being as good as he is kind of historically good as he is, it's going to be really, really hard for them to get anything resembling equal value back. Um, even if they get back a hall of players uh, and prospects. All right, June, good to talk with you. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about the Jeter doc as we go forward too. I'm fascinated to hear your perspective on it. Absolutely. Thanks. You. Thank you for having me on Buster. Bleacher tweets. All right, Buster, it's time for Bleacher Tweets. So our first one comes from Mark Wooster. I know it's disloyal, but rather than give a 30-year-old injury-prone judge a seven-year deal, wouldn't it make more sense for the Yankees to trade for a 23-year-old Soto, give him a 10-year, $450 million deal, and let Judge walk at the end of the season? Uh, look, I, I, I mean, you'd be naive to think that they haven't had conversations in the Yankees organization and other or other front offices about, yeah, you know what, maybe we could wait for Soto or maybe we wait for Shohei Otani. Maybe that's the player that you want to invest in long term, because those seem to be options that are going to be available coming up. I think the question for the Yankees and the Dodgers are in the same boat. Do you want to trade a boatload of prospects uh, and, and pay that cost for Soto now? And then also give him a massive deal. I think the team that lands him is going to be looking at him as a rental. You know, a guy who is going to be around for two and a half years for the pennant races in 22, 23, and 24. And then they'll uh, they'll look at him at that point. I, I don't think the Dodgers or Yankees are going to trade the prospects and give him the Whopper deal right away. The next one comes from Joe Wilkins in the Jeter doc. He mentioned never playing any position besides shortstop. And sure enough, he actually, he has exactly zero appearances at any other defensive positions. How rare is that in the context of a full career? It's extremely rare. Uh, look, you know, Henry Aaron at the end of his career moved to another position. Uh, so did Willie Mays. You know, he played some first base. And I actually, I know Derek looks at it as being a positive. I actually look at it as being a negative. Like, I think he should have gone to the Yankees at the end of his career when, you know, there was always criticism of his defense during the middle of his career, uh, at the end of his career, when he clearly didn't have as much range as other potential shortstops. I think he should have volunteered to play another position. I think it was wrong. You know, it's not a slight to ask, a, a you know, a guy who's, at the end of his career to play another spot where he might be a better fit. Johnny Bench did that. He was a catcher for years. Then he moved to third base at the end. It happens with everybody. Father time is undefeated. 
I, I don't I don't look at it as being a positive. So the next one comes from Matthew Porto. Kershaw has an amazing move to first base. He showed it off in the all-star game to get Otani in the first. Have analytics worked people out a way to include that in a pitcher overall value? It'd be interesting to compare the skill between the pitchers. Yeah, I don't know if they have worked it into, you know, an overall number that they have. I mean, Max Fried of the Braves is another guy who has an excellent move. Um, and it's funny, too, Kershaw said in that interview with Tim that he didn't really feel like he gave him his best move. He just kind of flipped it over there. And Otani, probably in an all-star game, just wasn't locked in and focused on that. I'll have to ask the Braves about that to uh, to see if they work in any kind of number on Freed based on that uh, pickoff move. And then we have Andrew DeSalvo. Do you think the offer to Juan Soto from the Nationals was genuine, or was it the biggest offer they thought he'd refuse? Which team then leaked for PR purposes? It's interesting. Some of the folks with teams that I spoke with believe that it served both sides to have this number leaked out uh, and that it may have been done in concert. And look, only Mike Rizzo and Scott Boris really know what the truth is. But if you're the Nationals, uh, you want it leaked out because you want to demonstrate to your fans that you tried to sign him. Uh, and you also uh, want it out there because in the trade market, you can say, look, this guy's so valuable that we offered him the biggest contract in the history of baseball. And for Soto and for Boris, it was a positive because it kind of sets a floor on where conversations pick up with his next team, whether that's the, you know, the Padres, the, the Blue Jays, the Yankees, the Dodgers, whoever it is. So it served both purposes uh, besides uh, served both sides to have this number out there. A win-win. Yep. So the last one comes from Amy Chapman. Do you think MLB owners attorney Manfred stumbled in making nice with players and older fans over his minor league living wage comment and trash-talking players wearing their team jerseys at past All-Star games? Nah, I, I think uh, that's Rob being a man you know, being a lawyer. I think you, you framed it well, Amy. Uh, that's his job. And and he knows, you know, whether they're, I mean, we read about the settlement the other day, uh, the class action settlement that they had with some, you know, minor league players and wages. And if you're Rob Bamford, you want to continue to represent your side. And he may privately agree with it. He may privately disagree with it. I, I don't know. Uh, but he certainly engendered a lot of mocking <laughs> <laughs> and he talked about some of the minor leagues wages being living wages. Uh, I, I think it was just a lawyer making a case. I'm going to just start saying I reject that. If there's something that I don't want to do, be like, no, I reject that claim. Sorry, right. paying rent. I reject oh, that claim. Sarah, when you have kids, they will say something along those lines. I mean, I promise <laughs> you. I mean, I do to my dad all the time. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, everyone, that is it for Bleacher Tweets today. Be sure to submit questions using hashtag Bleacher Tweets and make sure you rate, review, like, subscribe, all the things with this podcast. And if you like what you hear, be sure to check us out on YouTube on Mondays with Tim. That's it for today. My thanks to June, Hembo, and Sarah. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.